All right, let's, uh, let's bow our heads, let's pray together. Lord, I thank you again for this, uh, this beautiful day you've given us. Thank you for the break and the rain. Thank you for the sunshine. Thank you for our new home here at Generations. And Lord, uh, we do want to lift up and, and, and bless Arcata Christian School. We want to bless them, Lord God, for being our hosts and allowing us to be here. And uh, Lord, we ask that uh, this would be a great blessing of a partnership and ministry, Lord. Father, we pray as we get into your word, may you just settle our hearts, our minds, open our ears to your word, Lord God. And may you speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so uh, last year I talked a lot about trees, right, if, you, if you've noticed. And this year you might, on occasion, uh, hear me talk a bit about fruit, I mentioned fruit last week, and so I thought this week I would uh, extend this conversation a little bit, and let's test your knowledge of fruit. How many of you love fruit? All right, a good number of you, I love fruit, so let's test your knowledge of fruit. I'm going to put a picture up on the board or on the screen, and you tell me if you can name the fruit, okay? Let's start off with a basic one. Pineapple. Very good. All right. It's not going to be always that easy. Here's the next one. All right. A lot of you got it. It is a jackfruit. Pretty good. I thought it was durian too, but I knew you'd all be familiar with durian, so I didn't choose durian. (laughs) Try to throw it off a little bit. Here's the next one. I knew you all would get this one. All right. Lychee. Uh, is it lychee? I always say li- lychee, li- lychee. Okay, okay. All right, I'm sorry. It's lychee. All right, easy one. Here's the next one. Wow, I heard the correct answer on that one. Rambutan. I don't know if I'm saying that correctly. Never heard of it. Kind of weird. How many of you would eat that? Brave souls. All right, here's another one. (laughs) Can't be that obvious. It is a kumquat. Oh, sneaky, sneaky. Sneaky, sneaky. What's the difference? I have no idea. I didn't do that much research. Okay, next one. Dragon fruit. You, some of you are very proud to get that one. How about this one? Plantain. Plantain. Very different from a banana. You bite into a plantain like you would a banana, you'll get a, a very unpleasant surprise. Right? Here's another last one. If any of you could get this, I will give you... A month's salary. Just kidding. Kiwano. What is that? I have no idea. It's found, I believe, in Africa. Who knew? How many would bite into that? All right. Less brave souls on that one. Only a couple of you, a few of you. All right. So you, you get to know your, your fruit. How well can you identify your trees? Fruit trees. How about this one? What kind of tree is this? 
It is a apple tree. An apple tree. How about this tree? It's an avocado tree. All right. You, you all are, I am boosting your confidence. Some of you are getting excited on this one. What about this one? Some of you know your trees. It's a fig tree. Pretty good. Now, they're all different kinds of figs, right? So fig trees. So, you know, if you stumbled on that one, it's okay. How about this one? It is a guava tree. My goodness, I need to do this more often. This is the most engaged I think I've ever heard you all. Who would have thought? Last trees. What kind of tree this is? No idea. Tree is barren. Who could tell, right? Who could tell what kind of tree this is without the fruit? Without the fruit. Until you get familiar with trees, right? Unless you have one in your yard or you study fruit trees or a farmer or something like that. Who can tell from one tree from the other unless what? Unless it bears some fruit, right? Unless it bears some fruit, how can you tell one tree from another? Now, all trees kind of share some similarities and characteristics, right? But unless it bears some fruit, can you really tell one tree from the other, right? You're like, oh, now I know why you showed us the fruit, right? Last week, I introduced the theme for our church for this year, and the theme was bearing fruits. And that bearing fruit means, bearing fruit is our evidence of the Lord in our life, right? Our relationship with God in our life. Bearing fruit means putting into action what God is doing in us, what he has done in us, right? That relationship with us. It's our action. We are taking the action. We are the actors in the bearing fruits. But God is the power, is what enables us to bear the fruit. We are the actors in it. That is our expectation. But it is God working in us, through us, that bears the fruit. So I wanted to continue this theme today so that it's not just some abstract theme or idea or thought, but we can put some some practical practice what it looks like for us individually and as a church for this coming year. So we're going to draw from a parable we're going to find in Matthew chapter 25, verse 14. We'll we'll continue with Mark next week, but we're going to look at Matthew chapter 25. And to give you some context of where this parable fits in, Jesus is giving a series of teachings based on the latter days, the end times, right? Eternal judgment, his coming kingdom, preparing them for his second coming. So we'll look at more of that in Mark 13 when we get to it in about a few weeks or so, okay, or a couple weeks. But I want us to kind of look at this parable and draw from some principles from this parable. Now, before we get into the passage, as I mentioned, it talks about eschatology or the end times, the latter days. And I don't know about you, but when I was younger, whenever I heard anything about the end times, 
Christ's return or something like that. It really got me interested. It got me so interested. It started from like sixth grade on. So whenever I heard end times, prophecy, anything like that, it just grabbed my attention. When I was in college, I went to prophecy conferences. I got, I got like videos and audio tapes. Yes, I'm that old. Audio tapes, cassette tapes, right? I bought cassette tapes and videos. Anything that had to do with the second coming, end times, latter days, and stuff like that, I just soaked it up. All excited because I wanted to know more about it. And so it really conditioned me to that topic that whenever I'd see things or go to conferences or whatever, I'd, I'd see events and stuff happen, I'm like, ooh, is that a sign? <laughs> sign of his coming, right? Ooh, is that the mark of the beast? You know, I don't know, right? All that kind of stuff. So I got into it. But of course, here it is, here am I, you know, whatever many years later, and we're still here, right? So it made me think, what should we draw from? What are some main ideas that we should gain when we talk about the idea of end time, second coming, things like that, or these passages? And there's just some main takeaways I want to briefly talk about. One of the main takeaways in discussion of those things, really, when we deal with passages like that, we want to, one, evaluate our life and the direction our life is taking. Okay? When we deal with these kind of things, our main takeaways, instead of like looking at everything as being a sign, right? It may or may not be. I think the main takeaway is evaluate your life and the direction your life is taking. Secondly, do you see the big picture? Okay? When you look at life that's going on around us, some things that are happening may or may not be signs of his coming or not, but at the very least, let it be a time to see the big picture of life. Do you see what's going on around you? The trends that are going on around you. Where society is going. As a, as, as a nation or as a collective whole globally, do you see what's going on? What's the bigger picture? And we'll see in this passage, do you accept responsibility and accountability for what God has presented to you in your life? Four takeaways, main takeaways, I want us to kind of think about when we deal with passages of the second coming or, or you, there's talk about eschatology and all those kind of things. We can try to guess about how this all fits in the grand scheme of things. And many times we may be like guessing wrong or right. We don't know, right? I don't know if Christ is going to come back in 10 years or in 10 days or in 30 years. I mentioned last week, I never thought I'd live to see 2023, Right? We're in 2023? 2023. I never thought I'd live to see my kids because I thought Christ was going to come already. But he hasn't yet. So I don't know if he's going to come in my lifetime. I don't know how we as a society can, can handle much more. Right? But at the very least, let's take away those four things. Let, it, let us think about the big picture in our life, the direction our life is going, the big picture of of our existence, right, in the, the years that we have, and know that we have to take accountability and responsibility for the decisions we make, right, and what God has presented to us. So just that was a little side note before we head into the passage. So let's go to the passage. Let's turn to Matthew, Matthew chapter 25, and we're going to start in verse 14. Okay, so again, Jesus is preparing people, the context, he's preparing people for the kingdom of God. Okay, verse 14. 
For it is just like a man about to go on a journey who called on his own slaves and entrusted his possession to them. And to one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, each according to his own ability, and he went on his journey. Immediately the one who had received the five talents went and traded with them and gained five more talents. In the same manner, the one who received two talents gained two more. But he who received one talent went away, dug in the ground, and hid his master's money. Let's stop there. So here we see a master gives three slaves or servants a measurement of talent. Now when we say talent, we're not talking about skills or abilities, right? The talent is a measurement of money, the weight, the the weight of a certain sum of money. Okay, so we're not talking about abilities, we're talking about weight or measurement of money. Now before I go any further, I want to clarify this mention of slaves or servants. Why? Because today the term slaves or slavery can get a little triggering for people. Some people look at this dimension in the Bible of slaves and they say, does the Bible condone slavery? Does God condone slavery? Because it mentions here slaves. Now I want to clarify a little bit of it. Right? When we read passages like that, what we need to get out of our minds, this idea of slaves, we have to get out of our minds this picture of slavery based on race, oppression, harsh treatments, right? We have to get this, this idea of prejudices that we understand slavery as we've, the, the, the unrighteous and the evils that we've seen. We have to get that picture out of our heads when we're dealing with this picture here, right, of slaves. The Bible actually says we're all slaves. How is that for encouragement, right? We're all slaves. We're all slaves to someone or something, We are either slaves to God or we are slaves to our sin, our flesh. We either belong to God or we choose not to belong to God. If we choose not to belong to God, we are slaves to our own sinful desires. We're forced to do what we need to do. Penelope agrees. That was an agreement. That was an amen to that right? The question is, who do you belong to? It's not a matter of whether I'm slave or not. You say, well, I'm free. I'm not a slave. I don't answer to anybody, right? You can naively think that, but you will be a slave to your own sinful desires. Condition to do what you want to do, or you're a slave to the social constructs of this time, but it's a matter of who you belong to. So we have to understand that idea when, when we talk about passages like this, right? And we also know, well, does God condone slavery? Look, God didn't begin relationship with his people as slaves. He didn't create Adam and even say, you are now my slave, right? What God does do is uses this relationship, this analogy, to show an aspect of our relationship with God and that we belong to him. We are accountable to him, right? We want to serve him. We want to be faithful to him. We want to say, God, I belong to you. So it's used as a picture to show one aspect, one dynamic of our relationship with God. But it's not about the slavery that we know in our history books that's based on prejudice, based on racism, based on oppression. Okay? So I want to kind of clarify that for a second. 
But here we see in this parable, there's a master, and he gets one slave received five talents. Okay? Five talents. Another, he gives two, and finally to the third, he gives one. Now, interestingly, it says the master gave a measurement of talent according to what? Their ability. He gives according to their ability. Five, two, and one. We'll get to that more in a minute. So immediately what happens? The one who gives five, what does he immediately do? He goes to work. He puts that five talents to work. Right? Same with the other, same with the one with two. The one who gives two, he goes to work for that ta- those talents. But then there was a servant who got one talent. This third servant handled things a little bit differently. He didn't respond in the same way as the other two. What did he do? He goes, he gets that talent, he goes and he buries it under the ground, hides it, and does nothing with it. Doesn't do anything with it. Let's go on, verse 19. Now after a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. And the one who received the five talents came up and brought five more talents, saying, Master, you entrusted me with five talents. See, I have gained five more talents talents. 21, his master said to him, well done, good and faithful slave. You are faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Verse 22, oops, I went back. Verse 22, am I on track on that? I'm not. Then go back. Where am I going? All right, I'm off. Can someone direct me? It's going to go on verse 22, okay? 22. The one who also, who had received two talents, came up and said, Master, you entrusted to me two talents. See, I have gained two more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of of your master. So let's stop right there. So here, after a long time the master was away, he returns to settle the accounts with his slaves. The first one comes and reports, you gave me five, I doubled what you gave me. The master says, well done, good and faithful servant. Good job. I gave you in charge of a few things. I will give you authority over many things. Enter into the joy, my joy. The second slave comes. He was given two measurements of talent, right? And he says, Master, look, you gave me two. I doubled it. Here's two more. And again, the master says what? Well done, good and faithful Slave or servant, you are faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Notice both instances. While they both started off with different amounts, right? And they returned. And when he returned, they all ended up with different amounts. Both the first two, the one with five and the one with two. Even though there was differing amounts... They were similarly rewarded 
by the master, right? Well done, good and faithful servants. You were faithful and I will bless you, right? One of our most basic needs, among our basic needs, we all have this desire for approval and affirmation, right? One of the things that goes across cultures, across generations, something that's very basic in us, we all crave and desire to be affirmed, to be acknowledged, the sense of approval. And it starts even at a young age, right? For those of you who've had kids, when you have babies or you have little ones, you learn right away that when you show approval or affirmation, there's joy on your child's faces. When you tell your baby, when they grow up hearing, what a good job, good boy, good girl, what happens? Does the baby say, you're just saying that. Big smiles, big smiles. When you're teaching your kid how to potty train, and the first time they actually go in the potty, you say, oh, great job. And they look at you like so proudly, like, yeah, I did that. Right? We all have a basic desire and need for affirmation and approval. One of the most, one of the best parental advice we received before we were parents was this. Do not label your child as the good child or the bad child. One of the best advice we received about parents is to not label your child as a bad kid. I've heard many times, I've been in the, in, among parents, I've heard parents say this among other people, Refer to their child as a bad kid. Oh, this is my bad kid. In front of the kid. Right? We may not be able to imagine. Can you imagine the psychological, emotional damage on the kid when the parent is referring to them, and especially in front of other people, as this is the bad kid? Right? You may be able to imagine that. Because maybe you heard it from your parents. And you can remember it. And you're still not over it, right? You're a grown adult. You're a parent yourself. And you still haven't gone over the fact that your parent referred to you as a bad kid. Or you did a bad job. There's something very basic to us. We desire and crave affirmation. We want to be told, you know what? You did a great job. And notice what the master says to the two faithful servants. Well done, good and faithful servants. He wasn't just commending them on the job they did, but he's commending them on their character. He acknowledges them as good and faithful servants. Now what about the third? Verse 24. And the one also who had received the one talent came up and said, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, and gathering where you scattered no seed. And I was afraid 
and went away and hid your talent in the ground. See, you have what is yours. So we learn a little bit more about the third slave, this third servant here. He perceived his master being a hard or harsh, rough man. What does he mean? He says, he would reap where he did not sow and would gather where he did not scatter the seed. What does that mean? He means that the master would receive the reward for the labor that he did. The third servant admitted to fearing. We're not quite sure what he was afraid of, right? We're not quite sure what exactly he was fearing. But what we do see is what that fear led him to do. What did he do? He buried what was given to him. He buried it, hid it, did nothing with it. No profit, no loss. Verse 26. But his master answered and said to him, You wicked, lazy slave. You knew that I reap where I did not sow and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have put my money in the bank and my arrival, and I would have received my money back with interest. We'll stop there. Did the master respond, well, at least you didn't lose anything for me. He doesn't respond that way. It's quite the contrast from the first two. You see, the third slave did not respond like the first two. He had the wrong mentality, wrong perspective, and consequently, it led him to make the wrong decisions. The master described him as wicked, lazy, and worthless, and we'll see why. The first, first the slave's perception of his master was wrong, right? It was, it was wicked, according to the master. The servant's mentality is the master is going to take the reward from the labor that I put in. All the work that I did is going to benefit the master. That's harsh. That's unfair. That's just not right. Never mind the fact that the talent was not his to begin with, was it? Never mind the fact that the master gave him the opportunity. Never mind the fact that he belonged to his master. He didn't think about those things. All he was thinking about was, well, he's going to benefit from what I did. So I'm not going to do anything. Some people have a problem with this, right? They go into work. They go to work and say, man, all the work I'm doing, the manager, the CEO, the boss... He's reaping all the benefits. What do I get? Right? Sometimes you can have that attitude. That's kind of harsh. All this work I put in, and they're benefiting. We forget. It's because they're employing you. They're giving you the paycheck. If you ever get into a position of authority where you have your own business, or you have employees, you have people under you, you know what you're going to do? The same thing. The same thing, right? But here, this this slave, this servant, his attitude towards the master was that you're harsh. It led to the servant also not want to work for the master. The servant did not want to accept his role. 
even though he feared the master's response. I don't think he was afraid of losing, right? I don't think he was afraid of putting the work in and not getting any results from it. The reason why is because he said, I knew you were a hard man. You would reap what I did. You would benefit from what I did. So I'm not going to do anything with what you've given me. Verse 28, therefore, the master is saying, take away the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. For to everyone who has shall, be more be, shall more be given, and he shall have an abundance. But from the one who does not have, even what he does have shall be taken away and cast out the worthless slave into outer darkness. In that place there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Parable ends there. The third slave's future is not like the first two, is it? The master took what was first entrusted to the third. He gave it to the one who has ten. The one who showed himself faithful. And that third slave was thrown into outer darkness in that place where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You may sit there, well, that sounds a little harsh. Boy, that master was harsh. Is it harsh? The first two servants who worked for their master invested it in profiting for their master. And they were deemed good and faithful servants. They received the well done. But in contrast, that third one didn't want anything to do with it. I don't want to work for you. All you're going to do is just benefit from my labor. I'm not going to do anything. I'll just give back to you what you gave to me. I don't want to have anything to do with it. You can say the servant was self-serving, right? Only looking for his interests. You can also say the servant received the consequences of his decision. Now, I can't, all of us use Google probably, right? I cannot stroll into Google's offices, go to the CEO and say, you know what? I use Google every day. Because of me, you're profiting. I deserve a cut of Google. Can any of us do that? Can we demand? I use it. I demand some profit here. I can't do that. I can't go up to your front door on a given weekday, ring the doorbell, give it a little knock, say, hey, so what's for dinner? Can I come in? In fact, no, 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 I'm going to come in. Let's have some food, right? What gives me the right to do that? I can't go to some of you and say, hey, you know what? Um, you're kind of getting up there. I know you have a will or trust. I think I deserve to put my name in there. You need to put that space. I know it's your third kid. They'll be okay. I can't do that. Nor should I do that. I don't belong to you or your family. Right? But see, this servant, even though was given his master's belongings, his money, he had a role, he belonged to his master, still said, you know what, I don't want anything to do with it. But just make sure, just remember me when you're rewarding other people, right? If there are no blessings outside the presence of the master, and one chooses to be unfaithful to that master, 
They are going to reap what they sow. Follow me? If there's no blessings outside of what the master gives, and you decide, you know what, I don't want anything to do with you, then you are going to get what you asked for. Right? In the scenario, and we look at this situation in life. Here's some principles I want to draw from. Some principles here in this parable. One, the master expected the servants to work for the profit of the master. Right? In this parable, the master expected the servants to work for the profit of the master. Second thing, the master gave a measurement to each servant according to their ability. The master gave accordingly, and he didn't set them up to fail. He didn't set them up to be a disappointment. He gave to them according to your ability. Okay, I know you. I'm going to give you five talents. You, I know you too. I'm going to give you two. He gave according to their ability. The third thing we see, the servants were held accountable for what they did and what they were given. Lastly, the master rewarded his faithful servants and blessed them generously and abundantly. Four things to take away in this parable, right? Master expected the servants to work for the profit of the master. The master gave the servants accordingly to them, right? They didn't give it equally because one may be able to do better than the other, right? Third, the servants were held accountable for what they were given and what they did with what they were given. And fourthly, the master rewarded the faithful, good servants in abundance. That's the good part of it, right? The lazy, wicked servant faced the consequences of his decision. I don't want anything to do with it. I'm not going to do anything with it. I'm just going to give it back. And he faced the consequences of that. What does this have to do with bearing fruit? God will hold us accountable for our faith, what we do with our faith, what our faith produces, and who it glorifies. Right? Here's some marinade. Here's some things to kind of think about. This marinade this week has a lot of ingredients, right? So just kind of sit tight and kind of let it soak in a little bit, okay? This marinade comes with many ingredients. There are some marinades. All right, I can't get into it. That's food talk. We're going to get hungry. But some marinades have a lot of complex ingredients, really tasty. Here's a lot of ingredients here for you. Some marinade. Last week, I challenged us to bear fruit, right? To put into action what the Lord is doing in our lives. It starts with our perception and our attitude, particularly with our Lord, our God. It's not a new challenge, but I want us to really think about it. Think about that good and faithful servant. One, we have to start with the mentality and the perception that my life is not my own. I belong to the king. You have to start with that mentality. You have to start with that perspective that my life is no longer my own. 
I belong to God. I belong to the king. He is my master. He is my Lord and Savior, right? We have to start with that perspective. And the second thing, what I do is no longer for my own alone. I bear fruit for the king. Right? We have to get those two perspectives understood. I no longer belong just to myself. I belong to the king. And what I do is not just for me alone, but it's for God. We have to get those two perspectives clear. Understood. If we want to be able to say, you know, hear the words from God, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. We have to understand, one, my life is no longer my own. I belong to you, Lord God. And what I do may glorify you. Bear fruits for you. If I refuse to belong to the king or work for the king, I accept the full consequences of that decision. Let that be a a warning for you. If you're sitting there, you're like, well, I don't know if I like that idea of saying, I belong to God or my life belongs to you. Just understand, you will be held accountable for that decision. You'll be held accountable for that decision. If in this life you say, God, you know, I don't really belong to you. I know you're there. You gave me these things. I'm hearing what you're saying to me, but you know what? I don't want to do anything with it. I don't want anything to do with it. I'm just going to take it, bury it, and when I come, when you, if you come and I stand before you, I'll just give you back what you told me. You're going to face the consequences of that decision. Will we be a barren tree or a fruitful tree? So what we're talking about this year You can apply this personally and also as a church. Will we be a barren tree or a fruitful tree? Three things about that. If we want to be a fruitful tree, right, as a church, but also in our lives, one, we have to be able to say personally, I want to invest in my relationship with the Lord. If you want to be a fruitful tree, a faithful servant, in your life to the Lord? If we want to be a faithful tree as a church, a fruitful tree as a church, we have to be able to say, I want to invest in my relationship with the Lord. I want to get to know him more. I want to spend more time with God. I want to seek to honor him with my decisions, with how I live my life. I want to invest in my relationship with God. And the second thing, we have to be able to say, I want to invest in edifying other people so that they can experience the joy that I received in Christ. If you want an abundant relationship with God, you want to be fruitful in your personal life, and you want us, we want to be fruitful as a church, we have to be willing to invest in other people. Not just bury what God has given us too. But you know, we want to invest in other people so that they can experience the joy that I experienced. If you have like a, a quiet time 
and God spoke something to you like exactly what you needed to hear in the moment? Do you just like, oh, that was so nice for God. I'm just going to keep that locked and nice hidden in my, in my heart and that's just all for me. Or maybe you can say, you know what? Hey, God, is there someone I can share this with? And maybe God puts someone in your heart to share it to and you share it to them and you know what? It was exactly what they needed. They needed to hear that from God. Thirdly, we have to be willing to say, I want to be involved in how God impacts other people. I want to be a part of it. I want to see how God impacts other people. That what happens here is not just this exclusive club in here, but that God can impact other people for his name. How can we make this happen at at generations? If people on the outside cannot see our fruits as a church, cannot tell what kind of tree we are, then we're either doing a poor job of showing the fruit or we're living barren lives. Catch what I'm saying? If people outside our church cannot tell what kind of fruit we're bearing, we're either doing a poor job showing the fruit or, personally, we're living barren lives. We're like those barren trees that I showed earlier. So how do we make this happen at, at Generations Drawing from last week's message, remember the reputation of the church in in the Colossians? What were they known for? One, they were known for their faith. As a church, we need to individually grow in our faith. I am challenging each and every one of us in this room to grow your faith. Grow our faith. Come to church. Get involved. Invest in the growth of your faith. Growing in faith is contagious, isn't it? When you're around people who are interested in growing in their faith, it's contagious. You're like, well, what's wrong with me? I want to be that way. When you see people who are invested in their relationship with the Lord, it makes you feel like, you know what, I want to also. If people cannot tell how interested people in Generations churches about their faith, what's it going to say? Right? We have to be able to be a church that says, you know what, we want to grow in our faith. And you can tell. It's evidence. I want to grow. Look at this person. Man! Why do they want to go to Bible study so bad? Man, why, why are they, they're always there at permit. Why, what, look what the, you know, it's contagious. But we want people to be able to see that fruit on this tree. The second thing, grow in love in the spirit and love for all the saints. Showing love can be such a selfish endeavor. You know what I mean? Showing love can be so selfish because, okay, you know, I'll, I'll show love, but only to the people that I'm comfortable with. I'll only show love to whatever I feel like I'm capable of doing. Showing love in the Spirit and showing love for others is saying, you know what? God 
will you through me work through me to show love to somebody that you know what it's a little uncomfortable for me it's a little uncomfortable that i'm doing it can we be a church that when you walk in people look around and say wow look at the love of christ in the relationships Look what this person shared with me. After service, I challenge us to look around when we're all busy talking and sharing and eating, whatever. Look around. Are there people who look like there's no one's talking to them? Or look like there's something wrong? Pray for them. We're not, we're not going to be paranoid people, right? Right? You're like, don't invade my personal space. Hold on, you know? But do we have that love in the spirit and love for others that people can look and say, wow, you know what? Look at what God's doing in their life. Lastly, grow fruit continuously. We want to continuously look for ways we can be a blessing to others out of the blessings God has given us. Your abilities, your time, your kindness, your prayer, your interest, your testimony, all those things can be used to grow fruit for Christ. But let's not be afraid of failure. This is an important. Was this not going? Oh, there you go. Let's not be afraid of failure when God gives us what we need to succeed. I love in the parable the master gave according to the abilities of each servant. Did not send him up and say, here, I'll give you something, but you're not going to really be faithful to those things. I'm not going to give my little child a cookbook and say, make dinner for me. What I may do is give them a slice of bread and say, can you make some toast? Just put the bread in the toast, flip it, makes toast. Well done. You did great with that slice of bread. Let's not be afraid to fail because God will give us what we need to be faithful with what he's given us. But we have to be willing servants of Christ. Who can I be a blessing to today? God, you showed me through this week, how can I bless somebody else? Our church has a lot of needs. We have a lot of needs. I pray this year God would raise up leaders, teachers. We need help in the children's ministry, help with the youth, help with the adults, help setting up, clean up. There's so many different needs. But I pray that God would raise up people out of what God is doing in their lives. The fruit that he's doing in their relationship with God. May we show that. Let's bow our heads and let's pray. Lord, we come before you and we just thank you. We thank you, Lord. You are a good master. You are a good Lord, a good God. In fact, we can call you Abba, Father. Lord, I believe that you've planted us here to bear fruit for you. Help us, Lord God, as a congregation to bear fruit for you, Lord Jesus. I pray that you would work in the lives of each person here. May we be faithful servants to you, Lord. 
In Jesus' name, amen.